Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. She sells seashells. <laughs> that's not, that's no. not a warm up. <laughs> it's not? I don't think so. I've never done improv. You'll have to forgive me. I've never actually done any of those things during improv, only during like theater stuff. In okay. improv, they want you to be cold and really turn the room off. I'm a stupid bitch. I'm a stupid bitch. I am a stupid bitch. I am a stupid bitch. <laughs> I've only ever watched people... I guess that's where I sort of know this from, is from watching people do it at theater productions. Yeah. My least favorite one ever is when people stand in a circle and they go, all the dogs in the house. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Have you ever seen people do no. that one? Oh my God. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Dumb Bitch Media. I'm Sophie at Bingo Daddy. My name is Ev at No Money No Honey. Um, I'm, I'm really feeling triggered. I'm reliving my trauma of doing crew on local theater productions today. <laughs> Sometimes it's just one of those days where you relive your trauma of doing crew on local theater productions. Sometimes it is. <laughs> Sophie is working beside a building that I used to do crew on local theater <laughs> productions for. And I was talking about how I was really scarred when I was doing that because at the same time that I was working on a handful of productions, there was a performance art installment in which a grown man who was completely naked would cover himself in animal blood and then sing the French version of a Celine Dion song. Do you remember what song it was? No, it was one of the sad... Okay. Love songs, but I, nice. I, the only French Celine Dion song that I know off the top of my head is Una Colombe Party en Voyage. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, I'm having a really, I'm also a little triggered because I'm having this really hard time where I'm constantly working to dispel stereotypes about French Canadians, mm. about how they're like rude and stuff. And then French Canadians show up to my workplace and are mm -hmm. disrespectful to me. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? It's so annoying. Do you, I, I hate the feeling of like, and this sucks because obviously you can't represent everybody from the group that you belong mm -hmm. to, but it's like, I feel like I work so hard to be like, no, not all Newfoundlanders are like that. Or like, it's so frustrating. <laughs> not all indigenous people are like that. And then I am constantly faced with my own people doing the fuck shit that I claim that we don't all do. And you're like, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I had these two French ladies show up to the hostel today and mm -hmm. they kept like, I was hearing them like interact with other guests in English. Yeah. But then they kept asking me questions about the breakfast bar in mm -hmm. French. So I would answer mm -hmm. them in French and then mm -hmm. they'd be like, I can't understand you. And I was like, okay, I just have an English accent. I know how to speak French, like grow up. But they wouldn't yeah. talk to me in English either. So I was like, I don't know what you want. And then they kept taking all of the spreads for the bagels mm -hmm. to their tables and putting them on so I couldn't see when things were empty. Mm -hmm. And then they were coming into the kitchen and getting mad at me because I wasn't replacing the spreads. And I'm like, stop fucking taking it to your table. Yeah. 
And then I got more and they were like, I'll bring it to the counter since you obviously don't know how to do your job. And I was like, okay, let go. Mm-hmm. and fuck off out of the kitchen i'm going to kill you and then kill myself because you're <laughs> being bad yeah fucking they were like 50 let go and let go she's like <laughs> truly i um i walked here after work did you mm-hmm. i was walking across the bridge towards your house mm-hmm. and this woman was coming on a bike in the opposite direction like facing me and she made really intense eye contact with me the entire mm-hmm. time and I was like what the fuck and then I was like what so I looked across the bridge and then I saw this really hot girl on a bike and I was like who's that hot girl on a bike and then it was you really yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so nice <laughs> so you what you're saying is you could confirm my story that was like I can't text you right now I'm on my bike yes <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I was riding my bike. My bike needs extreme maintenance. So I row my bike to get stuff to work on my bike with. But then I wasn't going to, like, do it in public. Yeah. So, but I was... had to ride it back. <laughs> yeah, I had to ride it back. To, yeah, I was supposed to go on kind of a longer bike trip today, but I woke up late. So instead, I went to Popeye's check-in. <laughs> Where are you going to bike to? Elma Marina. Oh. It's not a super long bike ride. No. It's like just over an hour. Yeah. But I'm going to do that tomorrow. Because oh, okay. my bike is... I don't want to fucking ride yeah, you it. you can't do it in that. <laughs> no. I really need to fucking clean it and like lube the chain and stuff. And I lost my bike lube. God knows where. So <laughs> yeah. I went looking for it. because I was like unsuccessful. I, yeah, yeah. I was like, I have the tools. I have degreaser. I have an old toothbrush, whatever. Like, I was good to go. Yeah, except for that I was like, one. no fucking bike That sucks. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to watch a movie that's like, what if Superman was evil and eat Popeye's chicken instead? Yeah. That's what I've done with my day so far. Aside right. from going to the bike store. Should we talk about stuff? Sure. Is a time. I'm, I'm just going to say that there's definitely um, going to be a weird cut here. And you guys are going <laughs> to notice that there's no transition. Because we got very off topic because we barely seen each other. <laughs> <laughs> we had to pause it to be friends, guys. It's okay. It's allowed. Yeah. So for this week, we're just going to, for the first half of the episode, instead of doing a lot of current event stuff like we normally do, we're just going to do a deep dive on... Dave Chappelle's latest special, kind of like we did with Aziz Ansari's yeah. latest special. Mm-hmm. People seemed to enjoy that. Yeah, so and we're we... going to just dedicate the whole like first half-ish to that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And then do the regular internet half of the podcast, Beef, Stumbitch, Tweet of the Week, whatever the fuck we normally do. Yeah. And we were both going to watch the special probably anyways. Yeah, I would have at some point. Yeah. I watched it, I, like, specifically made time after work today before I came here to watch it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I probably would have watched it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at definitely. a different time, but for sure, yeah. For sure. Did you watch it in a Starbucks? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> I didn't laugh. <laughs> Should we do, like, I really want to get into this. Let's start with the, like, basics of it. So, like, it was an hour long. Mm-hmm. That felt like enough time. Definitely. Standard hour. Standard hour, yeah. What did you think of the aesthetics? Okay, so I thought it was shot well. Mm -hmm. It was not shot elaborately. No. 
at all. I liked it. It was basic. Which I liked. Mm -hmm. I thought the cold open was weird. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like starting on Dart where you can hear his voice. I thought it was a very, very strange artistic choice that he opened on singing a cappella. And then did that again after his first kind of like ranting punchline. It was disturbing to me. His like weird singing thing. I really didn't like it. I think that it it was some sort of like strange preacher style delivery almost. Uh, Maybe, yeah. But it was very much not for me. I think it was a strange choice artistically. The fit goes. So hard. The fit goes. Loving Dave Chappelle in his Top Gun full fit. It was really good. He could have taught something to Aziz Ansari. (laughs) Yes. But it's a different look, right? Like, we talked Mm -hmm. about Aziz Ansari, like, how he was almost dressed that way, like, on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. He's trying to look, like, not cool. Himself. Yeah, like, himself, but, like, casual, like, the real Aziz Mm -hmm. after he'd been exposed. Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle's whole thing is that he's, like, basically doubling down on everything that he's ever said and not apologizing like he's trying to look fly Mm -hmm. you know exactly he was he was serving us like top level dave chappelle comedy legend dave chappelle yes and his outfit yes (laughs) (laughs) i would i love a jumpsuit like that i want a jumpsuit i have one that's sort of similar damn it's beige you've probably seen me in it no Okay. I'll I wear- would remember. I love a jumpsuit. Okay. I'll wear it tomorrow night. Sweet. Okay. It's a deal. We're shaking hands. <laughs> All right. So aesthetics out of the way. Oh, I, I do have to say about the production, I think they were using a laugh track. Really? To fill out the audience. Okay. Because all of the laughs were the exact same level and sounded the same. Interesting. Okay. Famously, I'm not good at audio stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously, I mean, we saw the audience, but I think they were filling out the audience with a laugh track did you in see post-production. The, did you see the hot girl that looked super unimpressed during the whole special? Yes. That was so funny. Her I was boyfriend like, made her go. I was like, whose date is this? <laughs> it was like when we went to Come Town and that one girl in our row was like. <sighs> yeah, that was so funny. I think it was a hard dick move to open on a joke about a much-loved celebrity killing themselves, like a Bourdain joke. Yes. I love Bourdain and have been trying since he died to write a joke about Anthony Bourdain because I was so upset about his death and I loved him. I was wondering what you were going to think about that. I Mm -hmm. um, just generally, like, my general feeling about the special was I Mm. didn't love it. Okay. And I didn't really love that joke. I don't think there's anything wrong with the premise, mm-hmm. but I it, I don't feel like it really went anywhere. I think that it, it was kind of a soft open. Yeah, like I was like, okay. like. <laughs> yeah, I also think though, I took a lot of notes, so hopefully you guys can't hear me reading them. <laughs> also, my writing is famously illegible and I'm bad at reading. So, <laughs> so I think that the Bourdain... Using Bourdain, Bourdain was just a mechanism to get to the real joke, which was about the guy that he knew that had a good life, who was in law school, who married the girl that was, like, perfect for him, Mm -hmm. and then was a manager of a footlocker at 45, right? I will say that 
telling people to kill themselves is never not funny to me. Okay. <laughs> I always think that's funny. <laughs> I, I, he did this a few times in the special where he did mm-hmm. like callbacks or like stuff I, like that, which I liked. I and have you're a right. Note here that just says callback king. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the Anthony Bourdain joke mm-hmm. was good where it was like he, the guy didn't think about the option of killing himself. Yeah. I do think that it's a point that a lot of people have made and it it's both it's almost hack because it's salient. Yes. To say that, you know, no matter how good your life is from the outside, you can still experience mental illness and be tempted by suicide. Yes. Right? I do think that a lot of the jokes maybe I didn't love because they were not super, like, based in originality. Like, a lot of the topics that he Mm-mm. discussed were not very interesting to me. No. It's not that the jokes were, like, bad or anything. It's just, like, I was kind of bored. Definitely. I do think that the next thing that he did was he was like, do you guys want to see some impressions? And he was like, I'm not good at impressions. And I will say that I think that good impressions, actual impressions, are always hacked. Yes. Bad impressions are hilarious. Intentionally bad impressions. It's big you energy. Yes, I do. I, do. I thought of you. I, yeah, I do not real impressions in my act. So I could, I could be biased. And you you used to do an Alanis Morissette impression. That was very funny. That, yes. that was not real. It was of, supposed to be bad, course. obviously. Yeah. I do think that that's funny. And I do think that it was interesting that he did an impression of the audience and he talked about his anxiety about how the audience was going to interact with his content and his kind of fear of like cancel culture because you're right like he did come out and double down on everything that he's ever said and refused to apologize but it's interesting to acknowledge his that even he is anxious about the introduction to it as like (laughs) um like a impression was interesting because like he's doing this impression and he's like do you guys know who it is do you guys know who it is it's you right And it's like, I thought that was actually really good because it's like people don't recognize Mm -hmm. what they're doing a lot of the time when they're canceling people. Sometimes they do, but it was interesting to be like, no, this is something that people do. Yeah. But from the opposite perspective, right? I thought that it was very interesting to see Dave Chappelle broach a topic and a style of addressing the audience and blaming the audience in the same way that Bo Burnham did yeah in his second special because you would never imagine that Dave Chappelle and Bo Burnham would have anything would have anything in common they're possibly they're not necessarily opposite types of comedians but they're pretty close to it they're pretty opposite in, not in approach, mm-hmm. I would say. Like, they both do more, like, storytelling type stuff generally. But, yeah, mm-hmm. the final product is very, very different. Very different. Yeah, like, when Bo Burnham talked about how after his first special, what, he was having horrible panic attacks because he was feeling, like, the pressure of, like, performing mm-hmm. for larger larger audiences and producing something great. And that was, like, the huge overarching theme of his second special. And I thought it was interesting that Chappelle addressed kind of the more and more success and accolades that you get, the more nervous 
you get about creating a product that will appeal to the audience and the more the audience becomes the arbiter of, of whether your you're worth worth it or not yeah exactly that's definitely real like mm. as soon you know it's like but it's true it's like you know you actually get more nervous once people actually give a fuck about what you're saying like do you remember doing your first show ever yeah you were nervous because you'd never done it before and you might have mm-hmm. eaten shit but it wouldn't have mattered i was literally talking about this today because yeah. obviously it's not even remotely on the same scale but we're co-headlining a show in Edmonton in just over a week and then we got asked to co-headline another show here at the end of the month and I was like oh shit's really starting to go good but it's so much more nerve-wracking because you can flop on any fucking six-minute set yeah. any mic yeah. any whatever random I flopped on Friday it literally minutes. didn't matter it does not matter, but once people start trusting you enough to, like, you know, put your name on a poster, call you headliner, assume that you'll be a draw, and that people will enjoy you. And that they can rely on you to deliver a consistent product. <laughs> <laughs> then you want to kill yourself. Then your brain starts going, like, starts doing intrusive thoughts, like, what if I bomb on purpose? <laughs> Um, let's drain this pressure valve (laughs) one thing that I thought was interesting because the Aziz Ansari did come out special did come Mm -hmm. out so recently and then they released the Dave Chappelle special both on Netflix Mm -hmm. so Aziz Ansari's whole like perspective like we Mm -hmm. talked about was that I got cancelled but here's all these other people that really should have been cancelled and you guys are putting me in the same category Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle's perspective was you guys could cancel me mm-hmm. for all these things I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it anyways. Here's some people who did get canceled, and I don't think they should have. That and was, it was the same people. That was interesting. Was very interesting. Yeah. I do think that he made a good point on posthumous cancellation. Yes. Which is something that always frustrates me. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you're absolutely right. He did kind of the opposite of Aziz Ansari. Honestly, I know I'm not a big Aziz fan. Yeah. And I think he's a weasel. Yeah. But what he did was kind of cowardly. I didn't, I, I, didn't, I mean, talk we talked about, about this, but I hated people. it. Yeah, these yeah. people that should be canceled. I did also laugh out loud a handful of times during the Ch- Chappelle's Special. Special, which yeah. I certainly did not do during Aziz's. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that he did a joke that was truly... The premise was just so hack. I've seen... I saw Aziz do it. I saw uh, Adam Friedland do it. Yes! And I saw Dave Chappelle do the premise. Michael Jackson was a pedophile, but... He's the best pedophile to get molested by. When he started doing his joke, I was like, okay, comedy, quote unquote, legend. Dave Mm -hmm. Chappelle is doing an unfinished Adam Friedland bit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because the first time we saw Adam do it, he literally had written it like two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, okay, whatever. I know. I wonder if he's mad about the parallel thinking. Is he going to have to stop doing the joke now? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever. Well, if my thought is always if somebody accuses you of stealing a joke, yeah. or if somebody's like, yo, that joke is kind of similar to this joke, 
All that it means is that it doesn't necessarily mean that you stole a joke. What it probably means is that it's not a super original joke. So So why would you want to do it anyways? Yeah. Just throw it out, right? I did think it was interesting that he did do the flip turn, which I haven't seen anyone else do, which was that (laughs) Michael Jackson is the best pedophile to get molested by if you have to be molested. And then he turned around and said, Macaulay Culkin is the best kid to molest if you have to molest a kid. <laughs> that was wild. I was like, what? I didn't expect that part. No, me neither. That, yeah. that, was a, that was definitely a misdirect. And also, it was funny that his point was not that I thought, he, then he did a kind of a double misdirect. I thought he was going towards Macaulay Culkin is the cutest kid. Yeah. But then he was like, no, he's the hardest to catch. So he's like the most satisfying game. Yeah. Like if you're a true hunter. <laughs> I was like, what? I actually. If you're in the business of children, Macaulay Culkin's the most dangerous game. <laughs> You've seen Home Alone. It's so hard to catch him. Yeah. I. Okay, I honestly, I didn't hate that joke because the overarching theme of it, although he was doing some stuff that was very similar to other people, mm-hmm. was that it's the parents' fault. Yeah. Like, when he was like, he was like, you don't get to go to Hawaii for free. Like, his parents, funny. like, yeah. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like, that, like, it, on its face, the joke is pretty, like, awful and mm-hmm. unwoke. But there is a good point there, right? Which is, like, people are like, oh, it couldn't be true, blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, who the fuck, like, yeah. <laughs> lets their child sleep over at an adult man's house? That's not the responsibility... Of the child. Of the child. Yes. Of, of course, everyone is aware that, you know, lots of parents are essentially fame whores when it comes to their children, children. and they will sell their children out and turn a blind eye. Yeah. What if their child has captured the attentions of somebody as famous and as rich as Michael Jobs? That was the overarching theme, which Definitely. was like... I feel like that was all pretty fine up to that point. Like, those were all edgy topics where he really kind of leaned into being more offensive than funny and intentionally edgy was definitely the middle part of the Sachin when he talked about gay shit. And then I think he started it out by talking about how... They weren't allowed to say faggot on the Chappelle show. Mm -hmm. And this was another artistic choice. I didn't like that he decided to yell it. Yes. When he did the misdirect, like he was going to whisper it. Mm -hmm. And then he yelled it instead. Yeah. It was abrasive, which I know was the point. But it kind of would have been abrasive enough anyways. Yes, precisely. Yeah. You're already coming out and saying, I wasn't allowed to say this because I'm not gay, which I also kind of thought was an interesting rule for the network to have if that was their formal policy, because that's I that's how I mostly feel about slurs. Yeah. Is that you should just use the ones that are for you. Um, <laughs> first of all, this is also not an original bit. If you've okay. seen the John Mulaney special where he says that he wasn't allowed to say midget on right. TV. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's as bad same. as the N-word. Yes. It's uh, a similar premise. Yes. But 
I think I was kind of honestly this joke was kind of confusing to me because the whole his whole section about gay stuff was so long and like kind of convoluted. Mm-hmm. But I think his point was that he wasn't allowed to say faggot, mm-hmm. but the network let people say the n word on TV. But presumably, they didn't say. They- they were letting black people say the N-word. And then they weren't letting straight people say fag. <laughs> Maybe I missed something, but mm-hmm. I didn't hear them him say that it was because he wasn't gay. That was his assumption. She said no, he, she did. She okay. says that to him in the okay. joke. Yeah. I just missed that part then. I thought that it was an interesting choice. Well, first of all, he literally said, I have gay friends. Yeah. Which is like... And I I don't... It didn't seem ironic in the same way that people drop that I have black friends, so I'm not racist. I think he was being sincere. I think he was being sincere also. Which is bad. Which is like, insanely... It's kind of like really myopic. Like, how can you not know about the I have black friends argument and realize that that could be applied to I have your I have gay friends argument. I, I I would also hope that like people wouldn't really have to say that at this point. Like especially someone that's considered like decently like not liberal, but he's not like a like fucking like homophobe or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you shouldn't have to quantify something by saying I have gay friends because presumably you know a gay person. It's just like, like, <laughs> it's just a huge boomer energy. Yeah, it's super like it's dated. You know what I mean? So like weird. I was like, okay. Yeah. I would hope so. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that the fu- someone's phone rang and then they left it in, but I guess that went a- along with their entire not really producing the special or giving off the vibe that they weren't really I like producing that. the special. Yeah. That was also the only time he did crowd work. Like he literally didn't talk to anyone. Yeah. Which is sweet. Which is interesting. Top energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's my time, not yours. Um, is the audience funny? No? Okay. <laughs> that's why I'm getting paid. Um, yeah, his all his, like, LGBT stuff was, like, fucking weird. And, like, he did the whole, like, transracial thing. Which is also really hack. Uh, yeah, I guess he's, like, a Rachel Dolezal sympathizer. I thought that it was interesting <laughs> that the only time that anyone cheered was when he started talking about bisexuals just bisexuals are famously loud lower your voices bisexuals where did the quiet bisexuals go literally not to a dave Chappelle show i thought his point he made okay the car metaphor was so there was almost something there when he talked about kind of like the obvious power structure that kind of exists and that yeah lesbians gays bisexuals transgendered and queer people are not all on the same place in the journey towards acceptance totally that is totally valid (laughs) and real and yeah white gay men are obviously driving the car (laughs) of course (laughs) of course they're barely marginalized anymore. It's a self-driving car. That's <laughs> literally. And I did think that like although he made it from an unwoke place, he's right in that trans people are not in the same place mm-hmm. of being accepted as 
lesbians and gays and bisexual people are. And like what he actually said is that trans people are making the trip take longer because they're all in the same car. And it was like, he kind of, again, you know, made it seem like that was infuriating yes. to the other members of the community. But it made me kind of sad. <laughs> like yeah. I was like, he's making a point here. Sort of, I think, by accident. That's the thing was, I felt like a lot of his stuff, I was like, okay, yeah. there's literally, like, almost something there. Like, he was almost like, it's not the responsibility of children to not get molested. Like, he was yeah. like, and there, you know what I mean? Like, there was a couple points that he yeah. almost had, but he's so <laughs> focused on himself and his perception of, like, I'm going to say whatever I want and nobody can cancel me. Yeah. That he's missing what I think he w- is actually trying to say. And that's, yeah, and that's that sounds bad, but that's like part of why I don't think that anything that he said was necessarily cancelable, even though he really tried to open the door to that. It's like, you know, because it's like you can see the gears in his brain turning. Yeah. He's thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. He's just not getting there. And that sounds bad. I can't call famous comedian, like, writer of the Chappelle show, Dave Chappelle, an idiot. But, but he's not getting there <laughs> no. on a lot of these points. Have you ever, like, written a joke and then you do it for the first time in front of an audience, like, yeah. for real out loud in front of an audience, and you mm-hmm. say it, and you're like, that sounds like something completely different than what I actually meant. Yes. Definitely. It's like that. Yeah. It's like you're saying something and you mean it, but the way mm-hmm. you're saying it makes it sound like something else. Definitely. I also think that the just the entire LGBT section of section special was not clean. No, it wasn't. It was too long. Yeah. It was convoluted. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is one of the larger issues with being an extremely famous comedian is I don't know where you go. To, to work out your stuff. new shit. Yeah. Where do you harden your shit? Where do you clean up your new jokes? You can't because the entire world is an echo chamber for you because people are so excited to see Dave Chappelle. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're right? going to give you God, what that's you awful. want. Yeah, I was thinking that's about that today. That's why famous comedians fall off. And then I was like, what do you do? Well, it's the same thing with musicians. Mm-hmm. It's why people's first and second albums are usually bangers and then the third one's a flop. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time. Unless they t- take like a complete departure in genre or something. But, sorry, I'm getting lost here. I don't know what you do. Like, what do you do? Write jokes and then give them to a... a a more local comedian to try them or something and then face like getting accused of stealing jokes from like small unknown local comedians or something. There must be like, <laughs> the thing is that like these people get paid so much money that they mm-hmm. obviously do things that are smaller gigs that we feel like would be big gigs, but comparatively aren't. But what I'm but, saying but is it, no one's going to not know who Dave Chappelle is. They're right? still going to know, but mm-hmm. presumably like, just because you have heard the name, you might not necessarily be familiar with him, especially if you're not a comedian. Yeah. So let's say he gets booked to do like 25 minutes on some comedy festival thing. Mm-hmm. That's not as big as doing a Netflix thing, right? He I can do so. 25 minutes of his stuff. Obviously, some people are going to be an echo chamber, but other mm-hmm. people won't be. Like, they'll know the name, but they won't necessarily know him. That's true. Yeah. I, I think you would have to possibly hire other comedians 
to tear your shit up. Mm-hmm. Tear your shit to shreds. Do you like writer's room and stuff? Exactly. Yeah. Because at least you can, con- like, academically be like, this should mm-hmm. be a good joke. Yeah. Comedians, if any comedians are listening to this, fe- please feel free to give us feedback if you know more about how more famous comedians do this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm very curious. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that it was funny when he did the transracial bit, when he talked about how his wife hates the joke Mm -hmm. and his wife told him to stop doing the joke. Because I think one of the greatest joys in life is doing a joke that your loved ones hate. Yes. (laughs) Does that make sense? I was like, it's so cute and funny that his wife hates his joke, tells him to stop doing the joke. And he keeps He still does the joke and you can see the look on his face. He loves it. He loves doing the joke that his (laughs) wife hates and it's like mischievous. It's like a very important part of like the spirit of being a comedian. And like keeping your relationship fun. Definitely. I did admittedly think it was really funny that he was like, okay, but I'm not, it's just a joke. Like, I don't do this at home. And then he was like, unless we're really fighting. And I was like, okay, it's kind of funny to think about him doing racism (laughs) to his wife when they're fighting. Yeah. (laughs) The next part after that, that was where he transitioned in the stuff about Jesse Smollett. Hmm. Or he did a callback. Abortion call stuff. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Then he did abortion stuff. The abortion stuff didn't really leave an impact on me at all. My thought was that it was kind of a weird woke thing to do in the middle of a, really of a, a super... Branded as unwoke. Unwoke special. I thought that he, what he said about abortions was true and it might be considered funny because it's not something that you're supposed to say but it's a a truth that everybody should acknowledge which is that if it's a woman's right to choose to abort a baby without consenting the partner who impregnated them it should be the man's right to not provide child support if the woman comes to him and says that she's pregnant Yes. And he doesn't want to be involved in the raising of the child. Mm-hmm. I think that that's true and fair. Uh, yeah, it's something that I've heard before. Definitely. A lot, yeah. It's acknowledged, and it's normally, I think, kind of acknowledged as, like, kind of a men's rights point, which I yeah. think kind of, like, sullies the... The truth to it. The truth. Which is that everybody point. has the right to self-determination and like like Exactly. Yeah. We were talking about an R slash legal advice post recently about a woman who got pregnant and didn't want to have the baby, but the man convinced her to have the baby, so she had the baby, but then she legally signed away the right to the baby. Yes. Uh under the circumstances that she was paying child support for it. Mm-hmm. And she was paying like 125% of what was required for for child support. And he was, like, pissed. Exactly. And that was kind of an interesting, like, role reversal. But I do think that it's not really fair. It does take two people to make a baby, obviously. So if one person gets to make the decision, in this case, the woman, 
ultimately you have to be responsible for that decision. Yes. So you can either kill your baby or, as Dave Chappelle says, give the man the right to abandon the baby should he so choose. (laughs) I thought that was actually quite funny. Definitely. Not super, like, original or whatever, but it it was, yeah. It didn't leave any impact on me because I was like, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. Then he started talking about school shootings. Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, when he's talking about his kids having lockdown drills, did you have lockdown drills? Yep. Did you? Yes. Okay. It's stand... Well, like, I mean, you definitely would have when you went to school here because it's, like, required by the school board. So I don't know what other places... They started doing it when I was in the beginning of high school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because... We definitely didn't always... Like, I remember not doing them, but... I don't remember ever doing them in elementary school. Yeah. Or middle school. Maybe middle school. Yeah, middle school, definitely, because I remember we <laughs> we convinced our idiot geography teacher that if there was a secure all classroom, so we had to hide under the desks, as opposed to a lockdown where you do actually have to hide under all the desks. <laughs> this is the bit of his special, sorry, so yeah. secure classroom is just like you can't go in the hallway for some reason, but you're supposed to keep teaching, but you convinced her that you she couldn't keep teaching, so you wouldn't have to do class. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Secure all classrooms is regular stool with the classroom doors locked. Yeah, because there's like a medical or something. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, this is the part of a special that I actually enjoyed the most because I mm-hmm. actually really, really liked this bit. Mm-hmm. So just to give an outline of the bit for if anyone hasn't seen it, his son is talking about how they had to do a school shooter drill at mm-hmm. school. And he there's a couple things that he says that are funny, but the gist of it is that you can't teach a school shooter drill to kids because the kid that is going to be the school shooter is also there and knows what the protocol is which is so funny yes (laughs) that is original and funny yes i really like that bit that was funny (laughs) you're just teaching kids to panic and school shooters how to proceed which is very very funny i liked when he did kind of the impression of the kid that's going to shoot up the school and he's like he's like so where do we go That was really I funny. I also liked when he told this kid, don't worry, you're going to get shot. Your dad's rich. just hope. I agreed with his point that he hates guns but wants to own one. That's how I feel about guns. Is that weird? <laughs> no comment. No comment. Okay. I'm not getting a gun, everybody. Sophie says I'm not allowed. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. I also liked when he was like, you're just, yeah, like you said, you're just mm-hmm. teaching kids to panic and parents to wonder if they're raising a school shooter. Yeah. And he's like, but mm-hmm. only if you're white. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't like his, uh, surprise, surprise, I didn't like his addiction bits. They uh, were so fucking lame. Yeah, it was stupid. I did think he had a good point that white people had to start getting seriously addicted to drugs and basically jonesing in the street before addiction was considered a disease. Yeah. Like, when he was like, it's just considered, like, a pattern of behavior Mm -hmm. for people that aren't white. That was kind of interesting. But I know it was coming out of a place of anger. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, he was speaking as, like, a an older black person who used to be poor. Mm -hmm. So 
probably had firsthand experience with the crack epidemic, or at least was speaking like he did. Yes. And that's fine. And that's valid. But I just thought it, it was kind of hack. Yeah. I definitely think that there's a lot of truth to, like, obviously, like, the crack epidemic or whatever, and it mm. really, like, targeted, like, black people especially, and, like, mm. incarcerated a lot of black people under the guise of, like, the war on drugs. Definitely. But at the same time, like, if we compare it to other stuff, so, like, recognizing that addiction is, like, a mental health issue, mm-hmm. like, of course, it's going to take a long time, and that people who are more marginalized are going to be targeted first, so, like you know, with, like, mental illness and stuff like that, right? Like, oh, we used to have, like, asylums and, like, people that were already minorities were targeted for having mental illnesses, like, people of color and women and whatever. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing. It's just, like, it's definitely true that it's, like, now that white people are being affected, people are Mm -hmm. taking it seriously, but it's also, like, now that, like, it's been around for so long Mm -hmm. and they're already done targeting all of the minorities, they're willing to recognize that there's more to it. Also, there's just so many more advancements in like neuroscience where we're like looking at the brains of addicts and understanding exactly like what's actually going on in the reward pathways what kind of things can happen to make somebody vulnerable to have more of an like addictive personality so i mean like hopefully we're just moving towards a place of you better know, understanding. Better understanding, science-based treatment and reform of the criminal justice system when it comes to dealing with drugs-based offenses. It's a very mo- complicated issue. Working on humanizing addicts in general. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of stupid. The, yeah. the part that did make me laugh and kind of took me out of... Being kind of not... Being... Having my asshole closed up uh, during the added part was (laughs) when he was talking about the different types of bullets and what he would do if, like, a heroin addict broke into his house because I felt like he was commenting on both when he was talking about how he would shoot a heroin addict if they broke into his house he was commenting on both kind of i think the disposability of addicts Mm -hmm. or the way that addicts are treated as disposable Disposable. as well as when he was saying (laughs) that the addict would be digging through his change jar Mm -hmm. and he was like shit he's almost got a dollar (laughs) fifty like that was funny because it highlighted like the ludicrousness of the situation in general you know I can hope that that was the intention of the joke and it wasn't another one of those situations where it sounds like social commentary but mm-hmm. was just a badly written joke. Again, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm giving uh, Mr. Dave Chappelle too much credit. Also, I did think it was kind of funny when he was talking about his wife waking him up and him being like, sweet, my dick's hard. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, no, there's someone making sounds outside. (laughs) Yeah, addiction is one of those things where I don't really think you can write jokes about it unless you're talking about your personal experience. Because it is just such a complicated issue and it's a group of people who are so often the butt of jokes that it's really hard to be original in a way that isn't like punching down at people. Yeah, definitely. And 
I personally think that sad things can often be funny, mm-hmm. but addiction is just so difficult. And I know that it, it's like, it's stupid that I'm like, I can watch people make jokes, very funny jokes, elegantly crafted jokes about you know, race and gender. And it's just like even one of those things that even if you're talking about yourself, it's like, where do you start? Yeah. How do you craft a joke about that? How far out of it do you have to be before you can write a good joke about, you know, sexual assault or Mm -hmm. addiction or the death of a loved one or something? It's just that there are some topics that can be so funny, mm-hmm. but it just takes, like, laser precision mm-hmm. to write a good joke about it that's not hat and that's respectful of kind of the weight of the content that's not too dark that won't bomb because audiences feel bad for you <laughs> or the person yeah. that you're talking about, you know, like it, it's just, it's just one of those things. It is. Yeah. Right? There's like, like there's a local comedian here who had, mm-hmm. was addicted to amphetamines for a long time and he's been mm-hmm. clean for like almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. But he still has never written any jokes about it really. And he told me, yeah. he was like, <laughs> I can't do a whole set about addiction mm-hmm. because a set is six to 12 minutes mm-hmm. and that's not enough time to even really get into it in a way that people will understand and be able to laugh. Definitely. It's just so much work. And it's like, you want to talk about that stuff. Yeah. Because it's like, how good could your joke be about that? Mm-hmm. If you have the riches of personal experience. Yeah. But yeah, that that was an interesting part of the special for sure. I liked his tie-in at the end where, he, you know, he's talking about the change jar and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then he goes back to that and he's talking about how he wanted $3 <laughs> from his dad to go to like, yeah. the school dance or whatever. Yeah. But he had to get the money out of the change jar and then he's in line to pay for the dance and he's like counting it out and everyone's like, oh my God, Dave Chappelle's poor because he was like counting out pennies and stuff to pay. Yeah. And he was like, I want to kill everybody at this school. That was a hard closer. Yeah. That was a, definitely a hard ditch move to close on that. Yeah. That was very funny. The callback to like call all back. those different sections of the of his set special. That was very well crafted. Yeah. Definitely. That was real tradesmanship. And I liked the callback of the imagery of the change star. Yes. Like the change star in his adult home to the change star in, in his, his childhood, childhood home. home. Yeah. And also of the like, the, of what seemed to be kind of a theme, which was like, what could possibly inspire somebody to shoot up a stool? What could possibly inspire somebody to contemplate suicide you know he really takes like someone who would never shoot up a stool to to like what could get you there to want to shoot up a stool to like someone that committed suicide even though they had a great life versus like someone who would never contemplate suicide even though some people would be like why wouldn't you yeah it it was very interesting it is yeah that's true um yeah i didn't think about that he also kind of did this he did kind of a callback or I don't know what you would call it. Kind of, it was like palindromic when he's opening and he's talking about how he didn't want to give 
an interview for the Surviving R. Kelly documentary. Yeah. And then it's because he didn't know R. Kelly, which was so funny. That yeah. part was really funny. He was like, I He's like, and they kept saying Dave Chappelle wouldn't speak on a special. Yeah, I don't know him. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah. And he was like, they quoted me and they said that I wouldn't do the interview because I just thought it was quote unquote too hot for TV. And he was like, does that sound like some shit that I was saying? <laughs> I did not say that it was too, too hot, hot for, for TV. TV. When he talked about Jesse Smollett yeah. case, and then he was talking about how the likelihood of two like men from Chicago saying like, are you that, like, faggot N-word from Empire? Yeah. He's like, that doesn't sound like some shit that any, like, guy from Chicago would say. That sounds like some shit that I would say. say. <laughs> that bit was really interesting for a few mm-hmm. reasons. The first was, like, um, it was kind of a callback to the R. Kelly bit, mm-hmm. where when he was talking about Jesse Smollett, he was like oh, they were saying that black people weren't commenting on this because they were homophobic. And he's like, Mm. no, we weren't commenting on it out of respect because Mm -hmm. we all knew he was lying. We all know he did. Yeah, we all knew that he was lying about what happened, right? And it's like a callback to like, um, not all black people know each other, Mm -hmm. right? Like where he's like, I didn't know, I don't know R. Kelly. Yes. Right? And also he was like, R. Kelly, we all know that he did it. Yes. Michael Jackson, we don't all know that he did Did it. it. R. Kelly, we all know that he, he did, did it. it. Jesse Smollett, we all knew he was lying. Yeah, that so. didn't happen, <laughs> right? Like there was a there was a bid. I think that it's interesting to kind of contrast like cancellation yes. against like themes of like innocence or like perceived innocence, guilt, perceived guilt, cancellation, like wokeness. Yeah. That was that was really interesting. The themes were really really interesting and really strong through mm-hmm. the whole thing, even if some of the jokes weren't super like Some of the jokes honestly great. F- fell flat. They yeah. weren't super clean. Sometimes he was really he was failing <laughs> at the calculation of what I always call like the weighted scale of offensiveness versus hilarity. It's the risk versus reward. Exactly. So it's like, how funny is the joke? It has to be so funny in order to carry how offensive it is. Yes. That's how, that's how I always feel. But the other thing that we have to remember, I have to remember, he was also recording this in Atlanta he was recording this in a theater, but it was essentially a giant black room. Yeah, that's and true. And comedy is different. Yeah. In, like, black rooms, danger rooms, whatever. That's what they want. Yeah, that's A true. lot of the time, right? It, is, it was basically just, like, a supersized version of those specific comedy rooms. Definitely. That are expecting a certain mm-hmm. vibe and energy, right? Definitely. And I think that he made a lot of references to the fact that he was recording in Atlanta. Yeah, he did. Which I thought was interesting Mm -hmm. and cool. (laughs) I thought it was funny that he, I think he alluded to the fact that Atlanta is like not very woke or that black rooms aren't very woke because he was like, I wasn't allowed to say a word. And then he's like, you guys all know what word it is. Atlanta. (laughs) We're in Atlanta. We know what the word is. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, damn. The, okay, the Jesse Smollett mm-hmm. bit was making me laugh because he kept calling him French. Just, just <laughs> Jesse Smollett. Smollett. He kept saying Smollett. 
<laughs> I didn't understand what he was saying the first two times that he said he kept it. Saying he's a French actor. He's a French gay black, <laughs> black actor. <laughs> that is very funny. False accusations. Also, also to, your shit. Also my shit. Also to deride the the French as in like from France. Yeah. So, so funny. funny to me. Never not funny to make fun of Europeans. That's true. <laughs> the other thing about that bit was all of his like points. So he was like mm-hmm. making jokes about how he was lying mm-hmm. and just like about the situation. But all of his points that he was using to back up the fact that he mm-hmm. thinks Jesse Smollett was lying are things that I've heard other people say already. Okay. I listened to an episode of a podcast where they were talking about this issue mm-hmm. and they kept saying, um, nobody would call you, aren't you that faggot from, from <laughs> Empire unless you'd seen Empire and people would not have watched Empire if they were going to do that. If they like, were, he wouldn't be recognized. If they were homophobic or anti-black. They wouldn't have watched Empire. Why are Empire. you watching Empire? Yeah. So that was their point. Because they were like, they were like, that you doesn't make sense. people watch Empire? Yeah. No, they're fucking TVRing fucking swamp people yeah like so that was the first part that i was like storage wars (laughs) not empire dynasty empire is not on the program (laughs) so that was the first part and then the second part that he said that was also evidence i heard on this podcast that jesse Mm -hmm. smollett was lying was that he said he was going to subway to get a salad. salad. That that is the gayest shit that I've ever heard. Yeah. Only so he said that, and I was like, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. This isn't original, dude. But it's true. It's true. Yeah. A chopped salad. Yeah. It doesn't matter what hour of the night it is, right? No. If you're rich, fucking Postmates something better than a Subway salad. Yeah. I don't understand. It doesn't matter what hour of the day it is. You're in a large American city. Worst case scenario, go get a gas station lunch. Like, what it's the better fuck? than a Subway Who craves salad. A Subway salad. No one. I, I was just craving a chopped salad from Subway. <laughs> what? That's the Are you most, unwell? That's the least <laughs> believable part of the entire story. It is, yes. Even though the rope part and the who did it part was all really bad. Also, I, I have no context for this and I'm not sure if it even made mm-hmm. sense or if he was just saying it to be like random, mm-hmm. but saying like, you guys have been to Chicago, right? Have you ever seen rope there? <laughs> is this that a, made me laugh. There's no rope in Chicago. This is like the American, <laughs> there are no rats in Alberta. Yeah, it was just like a baseless <laughs> accusation. <laughs> oh my god all i could think when he was like there's no rope in chicago is i was watching mindhunter recently yeah and there's a scene where they're like they're like why does he have rope in his truck and it's like every plumber has rope and i was like does every plumber have rope i, I, I just watched that episode yesterday <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> and they were like he has tape though arrest him on tape i was like okay so Noted. Plumbers always have rope and never have tape. Okay. Makes sense. Does this make sense? (laughs) Plumbers, weigh in. (laughs) I did think it was interesting when he talked about uh, his dad and his dad, like, drawing the definitive line between we're not poor, we're broke. Yes. Like, this is a temporary circumstance. I do think that's a positive outlook. It's... It's also, like, a commentary on the perception of, like, poverty mm-hmm. versus just, like, not having money, whereas, like, it's, like, poverty's a lifestyle. Yes. And being broke is, like, a circumstance. Definitely. Do you know what I mean? hmm Yeah. And I think it's important to kind of, like, 
delineate between obviously these aren't like the official terms but like poor and broke it's like there are a lot of people who are all sorts of people like broke is not like a class distinction yes you know what I mean like there are a lot of people who are probably broke right now like for example let's say like law students or like medical students or whatever but that's not an indicator of class no they don't have money right now. Or like when people are like, like, let's say someone lives in an apartment. Mm-hmm. They can afford to live in an apartment by themselves, but they just mm-hmm. paid their rent and now mm-hmm. they're broke until they get paid next. Yeah. That's not the same thing. That doesn't thing. mean that you're poor. Yeah. You're not struggling to make rent. No. Every single month. You're just. You're not deciding between rent and bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Etc. You have, this isn't going to be your circumstance for your entire life or at least the foreseeable future it's just the circumstance at this present moment it's a cash flow issue yeah it's like that kevin hart joke about uh his debit card getting declined yeah where he's like no baby it's just a cash flow issue i gotta send it from my savings to my checking (laughs) literally me as well yeah oh yeah he also (laughs) talked about kevin hart i completely forgot yeah that he did a whole bit about kevin hart being canceled Definitely. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. I thought that it, it was kind of, it was, okay. It was reductive or maybe kind of blind to say that, you know, he talked to all his gay friends and they were like, you know, obviously it was hard growing up, pretending to be something that you're not, not feeling comfortable being what you are, but nobody smashed dollhouse over my head because immediately, I mean, it's known on the podcast, I think, uh, I'm a huge Trixie Mattel stan. Yeah. And her drag name is literally Trixie Mattel because she comes from a working class background in rural Wisconsin and her stepdad was repeatedly homophobic to her growing up and would always call her a Trixie. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where, you know, when you're interacting with other presumably rich people, being gay is less of a thing than, like, having, like, good life circumstances is. Yeah, and, and not to be abstract here, but why does the smashing the dollhouse over the head have to be literal? I know that that yeah. makes... I know that that makes it clear that it's a joke but lots of people who grew up gay have had metaphorical dollhouses smashed Smashed over their their heads heads. yeah that's true right Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that what happened to kevin hart was right or good or that i think that he deserved it for a couple of stupid tweets that he made a long time ago or whatever and i think that we can all be observant of context you know a lot of people it used to be okay or at least widely accepted if not literally okay to make homophobic jokes Mm -hmm. to make racist jokes that was a huge part of the lexicon of popular culture until literally like 2012 yeah (laughs) you know i think the kevin hart thing more than anything speaks to you need to 
be aware of how you're presenting yourself online and if you are getting any sort of fame you need to make sure that you are removing things from before you knew better he was too famous to, to have not, have not deleted tweets. word searched himself yeah dude i crossed a thousand like bitch, Twitter you have followers. a publicist right how did I they wor- not i word searched myself on fucking everything and for the record I never tweeted slurs, so. <laughs> Not then. <laughs> yeah, that was that was something I adopted much later in life. Uh, and I won't be apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was interesting that he commented that uh, Kevin Hart quit initially. Yeah. And then went back and apologized. Yeah, because like, they were like, qu- you need to apologize or else you can't host the Oscars. And he was like, well, fuck that. I quit and then mm. apologized for weeks after. What the fuck? But uh, that's like... I I can understand that, though. Okay. And to me, that actually makes it seem like he was more sincere in his apology. Okay. Because it's, like, a matter of principle of, like, I shouldn't be held to things that I said a long time ago when I didn't know better, but I'm still going to apologize because I understand that it hurt people. Like, I'm quitting because you shouldn't be holding this over my head, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I'm acknowledging that it was hurtful. That's, okay, that's a positive way of looking at it, and I think that you're correct. That's, that's my perception. Yeah. Versus like... Apologizing and keeping the job. Yeah. And, and apologizing for... Nothing drives me up the wall more than insincerity. Yeah. And I think that it's easily detectable when somebody is apologizing or raking themselves over the coals of wokeness mm-hmm. for the purpose of regaining reaping the benefits of that same reinstating their material interests Mm -hmm. or their access to their former like workplace yeah like he didn't really have anything to gain from apologizing after he quit the oscars no i mean because i mean at the end of the day yeah people were mad but i don't really think it would have affected his comedy career if he hadn't apologized no definitely not so like yeah Mm mm-hmm Uh, I don't think that his base really cared. It's kind of like the same way that, you know, Louis C.K. lost a lot of things Mm -hmm. when he was canceled. Um, Me too, whatever. You know, he lost his TV show. He lost the movie he was producing and stuff. He can still do comedy because a lot of people who liked Louis C.K. assumed that he was a pervert and don't care. Yeah. You know, when he apologized, it was very obvious that he was scrambling to regain those material interests yeah exactly same thing with aziz ansari in my opinion i agree you know anyways i think that it's really interesting and maybe it's because he's not actually a bad person although a lot of people get canceled that definitely aren't bad people or haven't even necessarily done super bad things yeah in my opinion it's it seems pretty pretty arbitrary and driven by the will of the cancelers in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's interesting that Dave Chappelle hasn't faced any of that. And I think that part of it may have to do with the fact that he genuinely seems to not really care. Yeah. He seems, he's rich, obviously, and he seems to have like a full personal life. And he took a very long time off from comedy. So what does he really have to lose? Nothing. Yeah. Exactly. I think a big part of what makes it easy to get canceled is to A, run in uber woke circles, Mm -hmm. and also to pay lip service 
to True. concerns that you feel are illegitimate. Exactly. If if you feel that they're legitimate, yeah, of course. But if you're just doing it to like play the game, mm-hmm. that's how you're going to get yourself in trouble because you're engaging with stuff that you don't agree with and people are going to find out. Well, it's like swimming with piranhas because you're the biggest piranha. Yeah. They can all group up together and still fucking eat you. I don't know. That's a bad analogy. <laughs> is that an Anyways. existing analogy or is that something you just came up with right now? Just <laughs> just off top. I don't know if you could tell based on how dread it was. <laughs> uh, fuck it. Let's talk about the internet. <laughs> the internet? The internet. The internet. The internet. All right. One second. I'm going to get myself a lime barrier. Okay. <laughs> okay. Beef of the week. Sophie, hit us with major with what made you angry this week. I'm so annoyed with people talking about the new Joker movie. Okay. And I feel like it hasn't even happened yet. Nope. But I'm already annoyed with the discourse around it. Okay. What's the discourse? That they shouldn't be making a movie about an incel. Because it gives a platform for incels. Oh, fucking kill me. <laughs> First of all, all comedians are incels, so are we supposed to never make a movie yeah. about comedians again? Like, that's unreasonable. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, I, I for one, I love that they're making a movie about a bad open mic comedian. <laughs> it's time. This issue has gone on for so long. I think there- it makes sense. Yes. Definitely. People, I think a lot of people take issue with the kind of like bad man as tortured artist who can gain recognition in his form. Yeah, but. You know, people are like, "Eh, stop saying that like if Hitler got into art school, he wouldn't have done the Holocaust. Stop saying if the Joker made people laugh and was allowed to be a local headliner. (laughs) I mean, this is just the Gavin McInnes story. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> love to start a hate movement because i flop so hard at local open my comedy <laughs> my thing though is that it's like like i kind of understand why people are saying that but at the same time i think it's really harmful to not acknowledge the fact that like artists that are perceived as being tortured can also be bad people of because ha- by not having that conversation what you're doing is creating a space for people to be like oh that person's not abusive they're just tortured Yes. Right? And it's also, it's kind of like denialist of like, when you say that any negative phenomenon exists in a vacuum, when you're like, this is, this bad thing that's happening is only because of white supremacy, or this bad thing is only happening because of people failing in their art form, or only happening because this man didn't have sexual access to attractive women. Yeah. Or what the fuck ever. It's like, why can't people understand that any sort of like bad thing that happens obviously is the interaction of several pre-existing issues yeah exactly but it's like like, oh this guy is like a bad guy (laughs) Mm -hmm. maybe that's why he's not doing well at comedy because something about him Mm -hmm. is off-putting to people definitely we've right we've seen it so much yeah how many guys do you know that are off are failed comedians because they're off-putting and they're also unsuccessful with women because they're off-putting getting stab time (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's true though 
I mean, yeah. I think that it's so stupid to say that people can't make art about anything. Because here's my thought process. If you are a mentally ill individual Mm -hmm. who is susceptible to propaganda. Yes. And you will also twist... Things to fit your narrative. Your narrative. You can twist anything. Yeah. Going along with saying that, like, the Joker movie is going to empower incels is you're thinking along the same lines of logic as people who think that, um, I don't know, Judas Priest made teenagers kill themselves. Yeah. In the 80s. Or people that think- Black metal inspired Satanism. Or the Beatles actually had lyrics that inspired Charles Manson to start a call that led to the murders of fucking seven people. Yeah, it's all the same (laughs) shit. Yeah, Yeah. people can find messages In in anything if they're looking to find a specific message, if they're looking for permission to do, to do bad things. Yeah, to act on something that they're already thinking. Of course. Anyone who's ever done any sort of critical thinking knows that once somebody produces a works and they put it out into the world, the audience, the consumer, is free to interpret that as they so choose. Yeah, of course. That's <laughs> that's literally the how it works. Basis you know? of creation. Yeah, you put something out there for people to interpret how they want to, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if anyone's ever seen me do comedy and it made you want to go do racism in the world. <laughs> Not my fault. <laughs> So both of my potential beefs this week were comedy related. Okay. <laughs> that What's one that other... one's kind of comedy related because the Joker's like stand-up comedian in the I'm movie. excited personally. I'm and I, I wanna see it. I love Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Have you ever seen her? Yeah. Such a good movie. It's really good. Sorry. I'm looking Continue. forward to the Joker, but I'm tired of the discourse. Me too. Oh, my second potential beef mm-hmm. was when we were going off about chuckle fuckers on Twitter separately. Yes. <laughs> Although pseudo related, if you specific, if you are not a comedian and you are specifically sleeping with comedians and you're not like trying to enter the scene so that you can like become a comedian, what the fuck are you up to? That's a separate disorder. Yeah, that's so bad. It's like, it's one thing to like funny people. Yeah. I mean, of course you like people that are funny, but not everybody's funny stand up comedian funny. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, of course not. And a lot of stand-up comedians aren't, aren't funny. funny in the room. Yeah. So it's like... They're not the same thing. No. At all. Not, or at least very, a lot of the time they're not. Yeah. A lot of people that are funny in the room are not good comedians. No. A lot of good comedians are not funny in the room. No. Arguably most good comedians are funny in the room. Yeah, but they're not mutually inclusive. No, definitely not. And it, it's weird because it's like groupy behavior... Like, for musicians. Yeah. But somehow, like, worse. even worse. I don't know. I just don't understand it. It's just weird because I don't think comedians go up there expecting people to be, like... Like, you expect to make people laugh, mm-hmm. but you don't expect to, like, impress people, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's true. You know? One thing that I do think is interesting is it's exclusively, there are exclusively female chuckle fuckers. Yeah. I guess there are exclusively female groupies for musicians too, though. 
Okay, true. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's because women perceive status as attractive. So if you're a comedian or you're a musician, That's you're a perceived status. in charge of the room. That's true. For the, if you're good at what you do, you're in charge of the room for the whole time that you're on stage. Even if you don't have a lot of other things going for you, that is a form of power, of course. That's a good analysis, yeah. Right? Definitely. Whereas, like, men tend to find that intimidating. Mm-hmm. Like, I talk about this all the time, but I've, even though I'm seen by far more men now, men find me... Less er, approachable. Less approach... Yeah, men approach me far less since I started doing comedy. Thank God. Because there's... <laughs> I know, I know. And it's still so much. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Can you imagine how bad it was before? Um, and it's all because they're afraid that I'll tell jokes about their tiny little... Di- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I won't. You're not that interesting. I don't want to write jokes about you. I just, I literally cannot understand (laughs) being a chuckle fucker. Like, I really cannot rationalize it in any... any, Me too. Not even abstractly. I spend my life being repulsed at the thought of fucking comedians. Well, I'm not even even repulsed by it. It's just like, I don't understand... You're not attracted to men. Male comedians (laughs) are a way different breed. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, female comedians don't really get chuckle fuckers, I guess. Mm-mm. You've... I do. You've but... had one chuckle fucker, but it's women. Yeah. They're after women. I had a couple of chuckle fuckers, too, but it they were always women. Yeah. It's literally never been men. It's never been men. No. And have you seen... The only... Wi- and I wouldn't consider these chuckle fuckers... I would consider... Okay, there's this phenomenon where men find it attractive when they see a cute girl fail at something. Yes. So bad female comedians... Fuck way more. Men will come up to them after the show because they're like, oh, that's so cute that she's really trying to get up there and be funny. She has her little hobbies. Exactly. And they don't care what her jokes are like because they're... They didn't listen. No. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I... Yeah. I think the only, like almost chocolate fucker type situations that I've been in is like people like seeing me on stage and being Mm -hmm. like oh she's hot but it wasn't about being funny yeah it was just about being like someone being able to see me yeah (laughs) it's still so disturbing to me that anyone acts like it's cool to be a comedian it's not. I know. Like, in my personal life, you know, people who obviously didn't date me because they know me as a comedian or whatever. But it's like, they're like, you're so funny. Or like, that's so cool that you, like, have a talent or whatever. And then it's like, no. Listen to me right now. There is nothing cool about being a stand-up comedian. It is a personal hell that I would not wish on any one person. <laughs> Real comedians understand that. Yes. Real comedians get it. Of course. Like it's all Real comedians non-comics. when you meet them, when you meet them and you're like, I'm a comedian, they're like, I'm a comedian too, and then they're like so embarrassing, right? And you're like, Yes. Yes. Thank you. Mom, if you're listening, please stop telling people I'm a comedian. Please. (laughs) I just want to say that every woman I've had sex with, Mm -hmm. even if you've never seen me do comedy, retroactively is a chuckle fucker. (laughs) (laughs) And that's on you. The only person who's not (laughs) a... If you sleep with me, that's on you. The only person who I've slept with who isn't a chuckle fucker is my ex-boyfriend who broke up with me because he hated that I was a comedian. 
Yeah, and that's praxis. <laughs> and I respect him for that. He was right. He was like, oh my god, I can't believe my long-term girlfriend is a comedian with a podcast. Better cut this off. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. You did God's word. We oh. respect you. <laughs> but... Uh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. I I honestly think that if you're a woman who sleeps with men, being funny is a huge detriment to your sexual prospects. And, I, and so for is, some people, that's probably helpful. So is being smart. Because yeah. being smart is a, is a detriment to your sexual prospects. Being loud mm-hmm. or commanding attention is a detriment to your sexual prospects. Being a comedian, you usually have to be both of those things. Yeah, or at least present that way. I, women in relationships with men are supposed to laugh at their jokes, mm-hmm. not make their own. Yeah. Unfortunately. So I guess this is my beef of the week, too. <laughs> I'm sorry. Straight men do better. <laughs> I just think it's so insane to try and be a chuckle fucker in a scene this small. There's only, like... Like... <sighs> Working comedians? 30? 30 in Ottawa. Yeah. So, like, literally, what are you doing? We're like, pers- you think we don't know each other? You think we, we're we not going to f- figure it out? That's comedians who do, like, at least a spot a week. Yeah. There's, like, maybe 30. Yeah. Yeah. And that's generous, probably. Probably. It's just so insane. How many? Okay. And now how do you keep do going to shows day. after? How many of them are women? Five? Five. Working? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you keep going to shows because you don't know shame. That's the type of person that it takes. You go to, to a different. show and there's three people there that you've tried to sleep with. Yeah. Yikes. This is slut shamey. Like, I don't think it's okay to ever work your way through one social environment, one social ecosystem, like a comedy scene. I don't know if that's a music scene, an entire house of roommates, a workplace. It's just like, everyone knows what are you doing? I don't think that's slut shaming because mm. it's not about the number of people that they've slept with. It's about the context and it's showing a lack of judgment and personal awareness, which is arguably not a good thing. It's about social ineptitude. Yes. Not about, I don't give a fuck how many people you're sleeping with. If there's I'm just five saying, people in your workplace and you sleep with all of them, it's not a, that you slept with five people. It's mm. that you slept with five people that you have to work with. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> stop that. They all talk about it. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. <laughs> do we do Dumb Bitch of the Week? Yeah. Okay. You got one, right? It's time for, yes. It's time for Dumb Dumb Bitch bitch of the Week. week. Okay, so this came in hot today. Hot off the press. Hot off the press. Just this morning, a man sent me a message on Instagram that said, how come a guy like me can't get a dumb whore like you? (laughs) And attached to it was a picture of a very misshapen and diseased looking penis. Oh my god. Do you want to see it? Yeah. Okay. Live react to this dick pic. Hmm. I'm so nervous. It's okay. <laughs> I know you haven't seen a lot of dicks, but I feel like you can still weigh in. Okay. Oh god. Jesus Christ, the head is really big. Yeah, the head is huge. It's like long. Yeah. What, what would we is say that? About it? What? Oh fuck. What's what? The like mole. Oh yeah, there's a mole <laughs> on his dead, so he's definitely been like sunbathing or something. Yeah. He's definitely got some bumps on it. 
Yeah. It's about six inches long. His he shaved cl- just his balls. His balls are really small. Yeah. Uh, he's uncut. And he's not completely exposed from his foreskin. There's a green couch and a green carpet in the background. He's also wearing a green shirt and green shorts. It's like, okay, branch out your color palette, He's sir. wearing Fruit of the Loom underwear. All right. I feel like we've seen what we need to see here. God. <laughs> uh, well, we're so, so close good. now. Yeah. Let's just move right along. Let's do our tweets of the tweets week. Of the week. <laughs> yeah, right. you got a tweet this week? I do. Okay. So my tweet is, need one more viral tweet to earn GED at Gloomfather. <laughs> okay. If you're dating a Pell Grant recipient, you're single to me. What's he going to do? Start a small business that operates for three years in a disadvantaged community? <laughs> <laughs> I love those types of me tweets. Me too. They're so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, some of my favorites of those tweets that I saw. I saw one today that was, like, good because it was really abstract. I mm-hmm. forget who wrote it. I think it's someone that we mutually follow. But it was mm-hmm. like, um, if you're dating me, you're single to me. What am me going to do? Me, me, my, me, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see if I have any good retweets of that variety. I wrote one. Did you? Yeah. It was hack, though, but I wrote it because I knew people would like it, which is, like, a disease. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Mine was, if you're dating a reply guy, you're single to me. The fuck is he gonna do? Riff on my jokes and land flat? That's so funny. Yeah, that was my favorite one. That was St. Knives, who is coincidentally also my tweet of the week. Fuck. So, St. Knives, you've been real funny this week. Keep it up. Thanks, girl. (laughs) She tweeted today... Sis, if you're really a witch, then why did your boyfriend cheat on you with that Buffalo Wild Wings waitress? I saw that yesterday and I almost sent it to you, but I don't think I did. Because, like, Buffalo Wild Wings. I used to be a waitress at Buffalo Wild Wings. And, um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And an adulterer. Um, I also used to be an adulterer. Okay. (laughs) An adulteress, if you will. I just looked so cute in my Bud Light UFC (laughs) t-shirt. My Toronto Maple Leafs drop tops during playoff season. Christ. (laughs) Do they make the guys wear crop tops too? No. And I am canceling Buffalo Wild Wings for doing sexism again. One year during patio season, our boss sent a message to our, like, Buffalo Wild Wings Facebook group and was like, ladies, it's patio season, and then just attached a 30-day squat challenge because you have to wear shorts on the patio. (laughs) I have no words for that. Thank you. That is... Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Moving up in the world. Woo. <laughs> All right. All right. Are we done for this week? I think we are. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes. And if you're in Edmonton, come see us. Oh, yeah. If you're in Edmonton, come see us. We will be playing the Grindstone on September 10th. Yeah. All right. And tickets are pay what you can. True. So that's dope. Sweet. Yeah. Come out. Cool. All right. Bye. (laughs) I'm a stupid bitch. 
I'm a stupid bitch. I am a stupid bitch. I am a stupid bitch. <laughs>